Hi, everyone. This is the Everyday Leader Podcast, where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today, I speak with Mercy Ojuang Kinyua, the Director of Operations at OK High Smart Addressing. Mercy has 13 years of work experience in operations, HR, compliance, and strategy. She's curious to understand the barriers to opportunity in learning a business that exist and the role that innovation and technology play in imparting knowledge and availing opportunity to the least privileged because talent can be found anywhere. Her passion is to use her skills and experience to support companies innovating to help people overcome these barriers and to explore how opportunity can reach even the most disenfranchised of individuals. Her desire is to also work with companies that disrupt the spaces they are in. Welcome, Mercy. It's great to have you on today and to hear from you about your experience working across a number of really interesting companies in Kenya that are doing really inspiring work, not only in Kenya, but across the region. And to hear from you about the various challenges you faced. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris, for having me. So I want to start by taking us back a bit. Of course, we'll, we'll get to your time at Arifu and OK High, smart addressing where you're at now. But I wanted to step back and hear a little bit more about your leadership origin story. Uh, what was one of the early leadership experiences that you had and how did that shape uh, how you lead today? That would have to be a couple of, like about eight, nine years now ago, uh, where I joined this company as an engagement manager, but ended up managing the HR and administrative function. So I had about uh, four people reporting to me and some of them were indirectly. This, this, this was very unexpected because I thought I was going in to do a certain role, but ended up doing um, additional roles uh, because that was what the company needed at that time. My entrance into leadership at this point was really difficult because uh, one of the things that I noted is that I was used to being a worker, right? I was not used to get, getting results or not able to think like a leader because I did not know how to do or to be a leader, right? It, it was difficult, but I think one of the most important things that I learned, um, in addition to knowing what I wanted to, what kind of leader I wanted to be is that I learned a lot about what kind of leader I do not want to be, which to me is equally as powerful, right? Um, I definitely learned that I do not want to be a leader that does not take feedback because feedback is how each and every one of us grows. I struggled with influencing people to work towards a certain goal and would get really frustrated when things that I'm responsible for would not work. So this was partly because I did not have the leadership mindset or even the training to be able to think how to lead. Um, another thing I knew that I never wanted to do is to double in micromanagement uh, because, uh, and this is something that I did because uh, working mentality that I had and the frustrations of not being able to deliver effectively uh, were really getting to me, but I got over this fast. Uh, micromanagement is just a serious waste of both um, my time and the person's time and energy. doesn't help grow the person. So obviously I learned all this the hard way because I was experiencing them and I remember the frustrations that I was going through. So those lessons, was it that you were making those mistakes yourself or you were seeing those being done by other leaders around you? 
So for most part, I made this mistake. The micromanagement, I learned it from someone else and employed it. So we were one big and happy family because I was being micromanaged. I was micromanaging other people. I did not have the knowledge or the skill set or the understanding to be a leader, to think like a leader and therefore manage people like a leader and, and be able to get the best out of them. I, I struggled for some time with this. Uh, behaviors before realizing that I needed to change my ways because obviously it was not working. And so how did you move on from that experience? The first thing is that after some time, I just realized that this was not working and asked to to get trained, right? But unfortunately, there was no budget for an, a formal uh, training program, which is the first thing that I could think of. So I had to start reading about leadership. Amazing. And, w- and when would you say that you started to really hit your stride uh, as a leader, and and what kind of role were you in at that time? So I left that company and took a break, and then got into another startup. I've been working with startups for quite a while um, in my career. I got into another startup, and I think that's where I kind of started getting the hang of this leadership and management thing, uh, because uh, I had an amazing manager in my previous role and even subsequent roles. I learned how to not what kind of manager or leader I do not want to be. I, I also, but I did not have the positive um, influence that I needed at that point. But this is when, in the second role, um, I, I got into this company working with students, and my manager was fantastic. She was very warm. She was very kind. She was very empathetic. And she's the one who started uh, teaching me about leadership because of how she managed me. Um, she she really took time with me, um, handled me with a lot of grace, uh, made room for my failure, taught me that failure is a way to learn. And, and I decided that that's actually what I want to be. So I started learning from her and taking cues. I just had one person reported to me the intern that joined the company. But I thought that that was a great reset for me to practice these things that I'm seeing from my manager. As I grew my career, I, I believe that that was the beginning. But as I grew my career, I've had amazing managers. Uh, my former, my immediate former manager and my current manager are um, examples of managers that I want to be. I've learned about the areas I want to grow in. I've learned about introspection from them. I, I've learned about being aware of what's happening within my team and, and, and managing and, and figuring out how to be aware and, to, and, and be uh, there for my team, even when, as my team grows, because uh, you want to be able to, to have a connection with people uh, so that they can trust what you say. I also learned about empathy. Uh, this is one thing that took me a while to develop, but I learned about empathy and the ability to put myself in someone else's shoes to understand their perspective. Not necessarily condone what they've done, but it's 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 a really good exercise to be able to put yourself in their shoes because it helps you try to tailor your responses based on that information. So obviously I've not been perfect in this, but I have been learning from my mistakes and trying to grow every day. So you mentioned that in your past role and your current role, you have really great managers that you look up to as as leaders. Mm-hmm. How do you uh, intentionally learn from them? Obviously, there will be just you know learnings by working alongside them. Are there any specific practices that you use to? I try to make the most of that time with those leaders to learn the most from them. Mm-hmm. 
So one thing I'm very, I've become really good these days at is communication, right? I do a lot of introspection and try to understand the gaps that I have as a person, as a leader, as a manager. And I talk to them, especially if they exhibit the kind of skill or traits that I want to get better at. So I just talk to them and I tell them, for example, I love how, my, like especially my former manager had a way of connecting with anyone and everyone that I found incredible, right? So I just told her one day, I, how do you do that? You know, how are you able, um, because I know, for example, you don't like person X, how are you able to put your feelings and emotions aside and really connect with this person in a genuine way? And um, I think she was one of my biggest teachers in empathy because she was like, despite how I feel about anyone, right? I have to be able to put myself in their shoes and see where they're coming from. That enables me to connect with this person no matter how I feel about them. And I found that really powerful, right? So I, I just, I found that the easiest way for me is to just talk about the struggles I'm having, the gaps, and, and, and just ensure that I have a relationship with this manager so that I'm able to be, to be vulnerable in front of them and they in turn can act, take on the role of a coach or mentor and help me grow in those spaces. And also, you had worked, it looks like, at, at Arifu for uh, over four years. Mm -hmm. What about working for a company for uh, a number of years helps build your uh, management muscle further? Are there advantages of uh, being at a company for uh, a relatively extended period of time when it comes mm -hmm. to that? I think so, because uh, one, um, the role I joined the company in was relatively junior, then I, I grew up the ranks. I think being able to, to grow in a company and then also being able to um, hire, have new colleagues join in, so uh, encountering different, different kinds of people has allowed me to be able to develop the management muscle further, right? Um, going through the changes in the company also kind of uh, gives you real life opportunities to learn and adjust your management accordingly. So I had uh, I had people who I got along with like a house on fire. Uh, there are people who I, I struggled to uh, connect with, but I still had to work with them or manage them. And every day is an exercise in figuring that out. So staying in this company uh, for a while definitely gave me more opportunities um, to do this and to see what has been working and what is not and and how maybe what has been working is not going to work right now with this new person so obviously you learned a lot from the beginning and you quickly picked up on the things that you didn't want to do or be like as a manager uh, what are what are some things that you're still kind of working on as a leader when it comes to managing teams and managing operations but i i have been lucky to to be in teams that i mostly get along with right uh, people who I work with really well and 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 uh, have great manager and report relationships with. So uh, one of the struggles with having great relationships like that is that you have to remember that you're a manager, especially when they're not um, meeting expectations. So having to separate your relationship and and this situation is and not make it personal is probably one of the hardest. I'm a kind of manager who likes building relationships because I find that in the long run, it's easier to work with someone when you have a relationship with them. Um, but obviously this can be a little bit tricky when you, when um, they're not performing and they're struggling and sometimes you have to be tough and, and bring in discipline, right? 
or if if you if they're not meeting expectations and you want to step in and you feel like micromanaging right uh because this person's not delivering your kpis are on at risk at this point in time and this person's really struggling for whatever reason right um so i know sometimes i have to be careful to be able to fight the impulse to to micromanage um someone because it's just not worth my time i've i've done this before i've learned the hard way and i know that it will only end in frustration so definitely have to keep on fighting that despite the fact that um things are burning so i have to figure out a way to really educate this person and upskill them really fast to be able to um to do what they're supposed to do right another challenge i think about uh managing other people that i've experienced and still deal with is when you have personality clashes i i, I tend to think that my personality is a bit bigger right and when i meet someone whose personality is as big as mine and we don't get along um it's a recipe for uh clashing down the road at one point um one thing that i've had to learn over and over again that is that i have to be the bigger person because i'm the leader and i have to uh i cannot stoop to someone's level like i cannot engage in a shouting match or i cannot um exert my authority i have to be the bigger person and figure out how to to resolve this um in a way that's healthy in a way that's correct in a way that is going to build both of us and in a way that's going to progress the company that sometimes is not easy especially when uh, someone is completely in the wrong and is not able to listen to feedback or take feedback and things like that but you still have to do it as a leader that's so true looking at where you're working now at okay high smart addressing to what extent are you working in a remote environment and that that challenge of personality clashes and working styles is that uh, less more or the same uh, in the remote working environment so at okay high we are fully remote i have actually met only two of my colleagues so far in person but um, have a lot of touch points one thing that we try to do uh, and they're still trying to figure this out is how to ensure that uh, we over communicate right um, I think over communication helps uh, in the remote workspace um, to 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 kind of smoothen things and try to minimize uh, issues. My experience with with clashes and personality clashes um, was not affected by remote work because even as I think about just my uh, working at a refill, working at okay, I've had personality clashes despite being remote. Yeah, and. I tend to think that this is because of lack of clear communication. So at OK High, I make sure that I try to communicate. We all try to really over communicate and just put everything in the open. In fact, uh, in, in the office, we have a rule where we try as much as possible not to use uh, private messaging. We try and post anything and everything in public, public channels so that anyone and everyone is aware of what's been uh, discussed or what's happening right uh, within reason obviously there's some things that should not and cannot be posted on public channels and should be left for private conversations but for most part anything related to work has to be posted there this is just to ensure that everyone is aware of what's going on there's absolute transparency and there's a minimal uh chance of clashes because of not being aware of things and stuff like that yeah transparency uh as a default is definitely 
a mm. solid practice and I've seen it being increasingly commonly used. Uh, so big fan of that. Can you tell us a, a bit more about Okay, hi, smart addressing and, and what you're doing for them, what your day-to-day -day role is? Um, so okay, hi is a smart addressing system that enables four billion, the four billion people without an address to be connected. Um, so okay, hi makes it easy for people and businesses to verify their addresses, which will enable them to prove who they are and get access to finance. That's the summary of uh, the company, right? Um, so I am the director of operations and I oversee the operations, admin and HR functions. Uh, so my role connects me to our mission because I work to ensure that we're operational uh, in the countries we're in and keeps the lights on from an admin perspective, as well as look for and retain amazing talent to work with us. Yeah? So obviously I don't do this on my own. I have a great team that I work with to achieve this. Uh, when I first heard smart addressing, I naively assumed it was related to maybe uh, making sure people had an address to receive packages, but you're saying the main uh, application is helping people have an address so they qualify for a bank account or bank loan. So that's one of the use cases. It can be as simple as having an address, like literally for deliveries, because our, our, our company started off in Kenya, right, uh, where there was a lot of uh, deliveries that was um, was done in, in Kenya. Okay, I partnered with companies like KFC, Uber, and Jumia to be able to uh, support their deliveries uh, products, right, where um, the, the, like the border border riders would have the uh, okay high address, yeah, and uh, it would they have the accurate address with the GPS and a photo from the customers and be able to verify this information using the smartphone data and be able to uh, help their agents navigate without getting lost because they would have the exact location and photographic uh, sub, uh, 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 address information to help them get to where they are. But that's just one use case, right? We moved, we opted to move to Nigeria, right, in last year. And actually, I came in and helped set up the operations in in Nigeria. To and and, and we we kind of pivoted here because we moved from collecting addresses through uh, mobility businesses such as Jumia, right, to verifying addresses for financial services companies in Nigeria. We found that this actually was that uh, this was the best approach because we could be able to build our address database faster by providing digital address verification for financial services. So that's it's a slight shift from what we were doing in Kenya. And um, we feel that this is the best approach for the company so that we can grow our database as much as possible so that actually people can use it for different use cases. That's really exciting. And I see, okay, hi, smart addressing as you know, among kind of this next generation of companies uh, coming out of uh, places like East Africa and that are really moving forward using mm -hmm. technology to solve some of these challenges in emerging markets. What I was curious about, uh, you said that you oversee operations and also hiring, if I understood you right. There's these technology solutions, but they still require boots on the ground, at least initially to some extent. How do you uh, make sure that you have enough team members to actually grow the business while not making it so team heavy? I've been in Okihai for, I think, seven months now. And one of the things that I found I find incredible about Okihai is, is the ability to stay lean. There's been a lot of thought that has gone into the processes 
um, and uh, in the operations, or generally in the whole company, uh, that enable the company to be efficient. And we put an emphasis on learning and iterating these processes uh, real time to be able to just get tighten them and you know just make them even better, right? I think that's one of the things that would really help any startup company that is battling against uh, uh, hiring versus uh, getting the product out there with very limited funds to be able to grow the business. You have to really sit down and think through your processes and make them as lean as possible to be able to make people as efficient as possible. That probably is the number one thing that I would do. I think also uh, looking at how what, what is the employee value proposition? So as a startup, you obviously don't have uh, the kind of money that competes with, with big companies, even big startups that have had a lot of funding, you know? So how then do you attract people to the company, right? Uh, so we think through our perks uh, really seriously and try to think about what we can offer people in view of um, markets, uh, market uh, level salaries uh, if we cannot afford them, right? So if, for example, someone is coming in at, uh, let's say, $7,000 and we've had a number of this, and we, if we realize that if we had two of these people, we're obviously jeopardizing our runway, then what can we offer them that would be able to uh, get them in, be, be an amazing hire first and foremost, and be able to be a generalist rather than a specialist? and then also keep them. So we think about our benefits, we think about uh, sweat equity and things like that. Amazing, yeah, you, you do have to be creative, but uh, you, you probably end up attracting uh, individuals that are quite uh, ambitious and, and flexible and willing to learn and put in uh, a lot of uh, effort to move the business forward. Uh, at least that's what I've seen in my own experience exactly. at, at these types of companies. Sorry, let me add that you just mentioned about ambition. That's another thing about a startup, right? It's incredible how much you can learn in one year that would probably take you two years, if not longer, at another more established company. So obviously that's something that you, you as a startup, you have to sell um, because you're offering people an opportunity to really grow. I know for a fact that the last about five years at Arifu and OKHI have been incredible for me in terms of growth and in terms of development because anywhere else the amount of learning and responsibility that i've had would have taken me close to 10 years to to, to get to this point quite honestly earlier you mentioned uh, in one of your first manager roles that you had been keen to receive some sort of formal training but uh, you ended up uh, learning a lot from managers that you you worked for and you also did a lot of you know reading of books and pod listening to podcasts um, i see now that you are enrolled in a global mba program and uh, with a focus on leadership at the the university of london is this the, still ongoing and what was the factors that went into pursuing that i've done i've done small certifications uh, since i finished my undergraduate uh, and project management, um, and then also just done, you know, different courses in leadership and management and in, in soft skills uh, from various places like Coursera, Udemy, LinkedIn, and so on and so forth. But I felt the need to learn the best, how to run a business. So I'm looking to grow in the operations space and see myself one day as the COO of a company, right? Um, and, and, and not just a company, a small company, I hope to grow into a role that um, 
uh, into a COO role that uh, manages different regions, different territories and stuff like that. And one of the uh, things that I noted is that I need to strengthen my, my foundation, my education, right? Which is why I ended up doing the MBA. So the MBA is giving me a lot of business knowledge. It's, this MBA is hard, uh, but very interesting. Um, it's, it's a distance learning uh, MBA, uh, which works perfectly for me. I've taken long to go back to school just because of uh, trying to balance, you know, work, family commitments, life, having a child, uh, being a wife and mother, it's, 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 it's kind of a tricky balance. But when I got the opportunity to enroll in this program, it worked perfectly because it, it wouldn't take me away from my responsibilities um, as much as traditional schooling would have, right? So this MBA um, is, is giving me really strong business knowledge that I that is really applicable. I actually apply a lot that I learn every day um, to the workspace. And then also giving me um, uh, the understanding of leadership as a study. So um, we go back and understand like management theories, leadership theories, how uh, uh, this study has grown over the years uh, to how it's applied today to the challenges that it faces and also um, allows me to uh, learn more, to just you know self-reflect and introspect about what kind of leader I am, what has made me grow to where I am, what are the gaps that I see in, in my leadership, how do I grow, what are the potential um challenges a leader of of my a leader such as myself can face um what are the uh as they call them the shadows that leadership can can cast and how do i avoid casting these shadows and and living on, on the in the light as a moral leader so it's really interesting um and i think the best part is that it's really practical because i see these challenges every day and i think it's also really helpful for me because um, as a director of operations, this is like, I, I've had my responsibilities have stepped up and so need to start thinking really strategically, uh, really need to constantly think um, from a leadership, like manager of managers kind of uh, uh, standpoint, um, which is really important. And I feel like this MBA helps me become even better in that, in that, uh, from that perspective. Amazing. And, and would you say that the global MBA program that you're enrolled in, are the case studies and coursework relevant for the work that you're doing? It, it certainly sounds that way. Would you say that the case studies are of companies that and of leaders that can really speak to your experience? I think so. Probably the only criticism I'd have of, of, of the MBA so far is that I wish there were a lot more African uh, uh, scenarios and examples because I, I find that it's, it's a bit wanting from that point of view. But if I put that aside and look at the examples on the case studies we're dealing with, our engagement with our lecturers and how uh, they drive conversations about our, around global situations and help us connect the theory we've learned to global situations. I think for me, it's it's been incredible. I also, uh, one, th one thing that I, I should be clear about is that I do not have a business background. I started, into, I started international relations and actually my dream was wanted to be a diplomat, right? And I'd completely define my, my, my path in a different way, but had a switch to, to, to get into the business world, which has been equally fascinating for me. So for me, this MBA is serving two purposes. One, giving me that basic business um, knowledge so that I can be able to think uh, in terms of business and understand 
businesses understand how to grow them, how to run them, how to manage them, but also being able to apply these theories to what's happening today and see how um, these theories are still applicable um, to date. It's amazing. Glad to hear that it's been such a good experience for you. And just as we as we wrap, uh, given all the exposure you've had uh, with some of the companies you worked for, your MBA, some of your other pursuits, have you noticed any trends that are being uh, underappreciated or overlooked from your perspective? One of the things that, um, especially working for a remote team, whether you like it or not, you have to be deliverable driven and not time driven. I find that uh, after talking to many people who went remote uh, uh, when the when when the pandemic happened and uh, letting up and hearing the experience about how their management styles evolved or if they did at all, I found that that's one of the things that people are really struggling. Right? Um, you you have to really switch your mind mindset to to being deliverable driven and not time driven because. Being time driven, I had a manager who actually believed that if you clock in at eight o'clock and leave at five o'clock, he's fine with that, right? It doesn't matter what the work was that what work was being done at that time. And I and I knew people who used to use that opportunity to look for jobs um, because they're there at eight and left at five and will do very little. Um, so definitely people have to be deliverable driven. Uh, you, you have to realize that in this remote world, in this type of COVID, you cannot monitor people's behavior and neither should you. I mean, you're paying people who are knowledge workers, right? So managers have to adjust the outlook to holding people accountable to deliverables and, and really driving this culture of, uh, I, I, I really don't care where you are at this time. What I care about is what you do and how you do it and if you do it on time, right? Then another thing I find incredible, and, and it's so surprising to me, uh, maybe because I've been in, in, in environments that really drives growth mindsets, I get surprised that other people don't think like this. But one thing I find really incredible is how people do not appreciate failure, right? Failure is how people learn. Everyone will fail and not just once. I fail, you fail, and we fail many times, especially as leaders, because we don't know it all, right? And how you deal with this failure will determine your growth. You can either learn and grow or decide you're a failure and remain in that cycle. And it's even more powerful for us leaders and managers because we have to be able to practice this every day with our teams and teach them so that they are able to appreciate that failure leads to growth mindset. And therefore you learn from this mistake and grow and uh, do things differently. Really well said. Uh, well, Mercy, thank you so much for your wisdom today. Uh, I think I've learned so much just chatting with you about your experience at OK High Smart Addressing, at Arifu, about your time at the uh, University of London for your global MBA. I'm wishing you the best of luck as you finish that program and as you uh, progress into uh, a COO role that you're aiming for. Uh, and maybe we'll even see you in a, a diplomat role uh, down the road uh, <laughs> as you go full circle. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. This was great. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.